Hello. Hello. And welcome to the Alcohol Podcast, the podcast that questions everything. Those normal things, the things you just take for granted, especially while you're drinking. I'm EJ. I'm Beth. And tonight is a very special episode. It's number five. Woohoo! And Beth is going to fire us off because it's her turn. It is my turn. Tonight, I'm going to talk about nail polish. Oh, yes. I love nail polish. I never use it. Well, I use it to sharpen my chainsaw chains. I did not find that in my research for a use for nail polish. It doesn't come off when you uh, when you heat up the metal, when you uh, are grinding on it. Yeah. Better than Sharpie. Well, you might be interested to learn that historians and archaeologists feel nail polish dates back 5,000 years to its creation in China, where it was used by the ruling class to set themselves apart. There were several reports that have survived that there were many public executions of common people caught wearing nail polish. Oh, no. Um, from China, the trend spread across India, the Middle East, and Northern Africa to Egypt. The oh. Egyptians loved their nail polish. They love their bling. They love their makeup. They love their gold. Mm-hmm. After the fall of the Roman Empire, though, many cosmetics, including nail polish, disappeared from European, European fashion until the Renaissance hit in Europe. And well, the, so you had, like, the entire Dark Ages, so, like, like, uh, Maid Mary, and she's like, nope, all natural, no filter, no makeup. Exactly. We cannot be pretty. It would, it would be bad to be pretty. But by the turn of the 19th century, in, in France, England, Italy, and even the U.S., nail polish had become a more common fashion accessory to the public. Um... Early nail polish consisted of beeswax, egg whites, gelatin, and vegetable dyes. Okay. Um, nom, 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 nom. There wasn't, there wasn't a hardener in there? Not according to what I found. Hmm. It probably didn't last very long. Obviously. Um, in ancient Egypt, polish was used to signify class rankings. <laughs> Lower class had to wear nude or light colors. <laughs> wear nude. While the upper class was distinguished with red. Um, nail polish as we know it today was actually a result of the invention of the car. Really? The paint used on cars is actually what led to the nail polish as we know it today. I could see that. Um, Revlon was the first to establish a nail polish brand. And, and in, you rev a car, so it's just obvious. In 1932. And its first color was cream. And I did find in my research on nail polish, actually, that acrylic nails didn't come out until 1978. And they were actually invented by a dentist whose name I did find for you because I knew you'd ask me what his name was, was... Maxwell LaPay and he <laughs> called he called them new nails and they were originally created for nail biters to help them quit biting their nails. Yeah, nobody wants to chew on something made of acrylic. That's for sure. Ugh. 
1934, a bottle of Cutex brand nail polish cost 35 cents. The most expensive nail polish costs $250,000 a bottle. Yeah, thanks to beers. It's called Black Diamond King, and it's made of 267 carats of black diamonds. That is such a racket. The De Beers Corporation controls all diamond trade in the world, unless they're blood diamonds. Well, I didn't see what brand actually made the Black well, it Diamond doesn't, King. It doesn't matter what brand makes it. The De Beers Corporation controls the diamond trade. I feel, that's a different podcast. Yeah, for I like, was going to say, I feel you're going on to a different No, that's topic. for like the podcast, like stuff they don't want you to know or <laughs> something like that. That's something totally different. In 2012, sales for nail polish reached $768 million. Million dollars. <laughs> um, I did find that there are 12 types of nail polish finishes. There's shimmer, micro shimmer. Micro glitter, glitter, frost, lustry, cream, prismatic micro glimmer, opal scent, matte, dual chrome, and translucent. I also did find out that neon nail polish is technically illegal. Legal? Why? Um, the ingredients in it are not necessarily approved by the fda the neon nail polishes that are out try to use ingredients that are fda approved but they do not hold up as well as regular nail polish so they're like they're like nail supplements because then they can skirt that fda approval instead of being a medicine correct and there are many different nail polishes that say that if you use this nail polish it'll help with nail growth or strengthening your nails right which the FDA does not necessarily back any of these terms. What about shellac? I did not look into shellacs. I did not look into gels. I went strictly with nail polish. You're like, no beetle carapaces here. <laughs> um, once a <laughs> bottle of nail polish is open, I found varying degrees. Some reports would say one year. Other reports would say two years for how good they're once they're open. Well, I suppose that depends on what the, the, I don't know if you would call it a liquefier, whatever the substance is in the polish. They start evaporating. Yeah. And, you know, like even your nail polish remover, your acetones and whatever. Lasts forever. But, but it evaporates quickly in the air is what I'm saying. Actually, everything I saw said nail polish remover lasts forever. No, it does. But in the air, when it's exposed to air. And once you open a nail polish bottle, I imagine that the seal is not very tight. Correct. But if you don't open your nail polish, it will last indefinitely. So preppers, take note here. If you are a diehard nail polish fan, stock up. The bottles will last indefinitely until you open them, so... Well, I don't think that botulism is a problem for nail polish, because you're not, like... Unless you're a nail biter, I suppose. I also found differing theories on how to... Differing? St- yes. Differing? How to, how to store your nail polish. Some people say you're supposed to store it in the refrigerator to keep it best. Um, I don't think so. I Other think. people say, though, if you store it in the refrigerator, that it crystallizes and isn't the same consistency. I don't think that's accurate either. I mean, it just like 
just like storing your batteries in the freezer will help. That does not. That's that's an old wives' tale also. Um, the best way to store nail polish that I found is in a dry room temperature located without direct contact to sunlight. Yeah, that makes the most sense because the ultraviolet light will break down what what would be in those. Would they be chromatophores? What what would be the colors? You know, I, never mind. <laughs> You're going You're, much more in depth than I researched. Well, I was thinking cuttlefish. Sorry, an octopus. Um, the EPA does list nail polish as a hazardous waste, so yes. technically you shouldn't just throw it's, away your used nail polish into the garbage. It's because of the thinner. It really is because of the thinner. Because a lot of them probably use an acetone-based yep. thinner. And, yeah, that is hazardous waste. I just had hazardous waste training, so, yeah. But the EPA does offer exemptions to waste generated by normal household activities because it's impossible, impossible, impossible to keep track of every nail polish bottle that's thrown away. Well, precisely. If there's a garbage truck driving around, they're not going to be able to say, hey, that came from that house after they get it to whatever dumping site, be it a landfill or recycling center or whatever. Red is the most popular nail color. Hmm. My nails are unpainted and slightly dirty. Sorry. But that's all. But you said red. Red makes me think of something. Red makes me think of my topic, actually. Beth, what do birthday cakes, most car engines, and Smokey the Bear have in common? I have no idea. Fire. I love fire. The candles on the cake, internal combustion, and you can prevent the forest fires if you try really hard. It's easy for you, though, because you don't live in a forest. I don't. And you are a pyro, but yeah, whatever. But really, fire, more specifically, what we're talking about here is flames. And flames are the uh, visible part of the fire. It's an exothermic reaction, which is releasing heat and light into the surroundings. That's a really big word. Well, it's not to be confused with endothermic, which is what you are. You're a warm-blooded animal. Supposedly. Or ectothermic, which would be a cold-blooded animal, like a reptile or an amphibian. I'm always cold. <clears throat> but since this is our fifth episode, I thought it was an appropriate thing to talk about that our five-year-old actually asked me, what color of fire is the hottest? And I'm assuming that he means traditional fires, you know, oxygen-based and not nuclear or something that's combusting without oxygen, you know, something that's using he an oxidizer. He does have deep thoughts. Yes, he does. But the temperature and color depend on the fuel, mostly. Obviously, some things burn at a hotter temperature, but how does the color correspond? When I was younger, I was always told that blue fire is the hottest. You know, that's what Dad told me. Mom told me. Grandpa told me. He's a fireman. He knows. But for a brand new term that I learned looking this up, um, we're going to talk about black body radiation. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Me neither, actually. For somebody who loves to learn about random stuff, black body radiation took me totally off guard. And this is an electromagnetic radiation given off by the source of the flame. Basically, think of the rainbow, with red being the coldest and violet being the hottest. There is also, like, 
ultraviolet and infrared, but we're really kind of going to avoid those. <laughs> we're going for simplicity here. We want something that's a good example. Say you have a really sooty red fire, or flame, excuse me. Smoky and dirty, and barely more than a glow. Okay? You can feel it, or, excuse me, feed it some heat and some oxygen. I can't even read my own notes. The hotter it gets, the more soot it burns. So the color changes because there's now less black body radiation. The soot actually, it absorbs the light, I'm guessing. This is kind of the quick and dirty version of thermodynamics. I mean, we could get into more, but I didn't really think that was necessary. I don't know that I would understand it if you tried. And the blue flame happens when the soot is decreased and the blue emissions become dominant. That's what's radiating the electromagnetic radiation. LOL at blue emissions. I put in my notes because I saw adult thoughts and emissions. (laughs) The flame color doesn't necessarily mean that the temp assessment is correct because black body radiation isn't the only determining factor. Okay? It doesn't always mean that when there's less soot that the fire is hotter. It it is corresponding, but not entirely. So these are for, like, wood fires? Any fire. Any fire that is using the fire triangle. Heat, oxygen, and fuel. Okay? There are some variables. Like atmospheric pressure is one of the variables that will change the color of the actual flame as opposed to the temperature of the fire. And then something called an adiabatic adiabatic flame. That means there's no loss of of, uh, heat to the atmosphere. So like say the fire is like the same temperature as the room. The room is very hot. Okay. You're not losing anything. So that'll change the color as in correspondence to the actual flame and the oxygen content like a bunsen burner okay did you use a bunsen burner in high school for anything no. you remember those you never used those okay well, <laughs> i didn't well there's a you've got your fuel it's a blue flame i know not always okay you've got your safety flame which is a yellow flame now i'm getting way too involved but okay you can adjust the oxygen flow to your bunsen burner uh most of them run off i think natural gas like methane and you can adjust the color of the flame by adding or subtracting oxygen. Okay, so the safety flame on that would be a yellow flame. But you can increase the oxygen content to make the fire burn more efficiently, less soot, blue flame. And what color does it, then it turns blue? Yeah. On TV it's always blue. Well, on TV it is. But also the fuel type makes the flame color change. Uh, the temperature of the atmosphere, which falls under that other category. Um, Here's some common temperatures, though. Just at sea level, your basic standard items you'd run into in your day-to-day living. Like charcoal. 750 to 1200 degrees Celsius. Use Fahrenheit. So we're going to say 1,382 to 2,192 degrees Fahrenheit. That's, That's just charcoal. Hot. When I was a little kid, we went to uh, some drag races. And I, all these people were grilling out and tailgating or whatever. And I was very interested in the charcoal. I couldn't have been more than four or five. And my parents were like, no, that's hot. Don't pick it up. So I picked up a piece of charcoal. Of course you did. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was hot. I'm guessing that one was right around that 2,192 mark. 
Did but you have to go to the hospital? No, it wasn't that bad. I dropped it right away. Probably got a little blister or two, but I don't remember it. I was just told by my parents. They remind me that I have to learn everything the hard way. Your natural gas, the methane, cause for methane, <laughs> uh, is 900 to 1500 degrees Celsius, which is 1,652 to 2,732 degrees Fahrenheit. Candles. Beth loves candles. I do. They're so pretty. They burn at about 1,100 degrees Celsius or 2,012 degrees Fahrenheit. Really? Yeah. Pretty hot. Surprisingly hot, huh? That is. And a propane torch is 1,200 to 1,700 degrees Celsius or 2,192 to 3,092 degrees Fahrenheit. And then an oxyacetylene torch, which would be like a metal cutting torch is up to 3,300 degrees Celsius, or 5,972 degrees Fahrenheit. And where we're recording our podcast, I have a wood-burning stove. Keeps us nice and cozy while we drink and talk. And that burns at about 1,027 degrees Celsius. That's 1,880 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, I wish it would warm up the area better. Well, you know, it's wintertime. I'm impatient. (laughs) And the hottest natural burning substance is called disayanoacetylene. And in an oxygen environment, it burns at 4,990 degrees Celsius. That's 9,010 degrees Fahrenheit. And in ozone, it actually burns a little hotter at 5,730 degrees Celsius or 10,340 degrees Fahrenheit. You're throwing so many numbers at me. We went from cooler to warmer, okay? Except for the wood. The wood was kind of on the low end of the spectrum compared to everything else. Because charcoal is actually... Never mind. We're not going to talk about how you make charcoal. (laughs) Um, But, like I said, color doesn't necessarily correspond to temperature. Because there are ways to alter the color of a fire. Okay, I have a question for you, and I think this enters in here. I have bought for us those special pine cones that we can throw into the fire while we're camping to make special colors. Well, what color are they? Because you're going to find out exactly what's in your pine cones, or what is sprinkled on them, probably. Well, I know I'm not supposed to eat off of that fire once I throw the pine cones in. So to make a fire red even though it's a hotter fire. Use a strontium, and you use strontium nitrate, carbonate, oxalate, sulfate, or chloride. Okay? And that's just different chemical compounds. I feel it's easier for me to buy the pine cone. You mix nitrogen or or carbon or oxygen or whatever. And for orange, calcium does it. Use calcium carbonate, chloride, or sulfate. And then... Moving right up the rainbow there to yellow, you use sodium and use sodium bicarbonate, carbonate, chloride, oxalate, nitrate, and also something called cryolite. Never heard of it before. Likewise. And green surprised me. And green and blue here are kind of backwards, I think, just from using the torch and stuff. Uh, You use barium, chloride, chlorate carbonate nitrate and oxalate 
and for blue use copper and I was always under the impression that copper burned green having used the torch like I said but chloride oxidate carbonate oxychloride arsenite and sulfate and also something called Paris green okay which is also a combination of coppers but they just call it Paris green so sometimes when we've had our fire pit in our front yard I get all excited when there's weird colors in there when I haven't thrown a pine cone into right. it. What does that? There are impurities in our fire. And then we move on to purple. And what they do for purple actually is just combine red and blue or use something called rubidium. But otherwise, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, oh, let's mix some copper and some strontium and we're good. And then. Uh, for silver or white, they use aluminum powder, magnesium powder, or titanium powder. I don't know that I've ever seen a silver flame. You have in fireworks. They use they oh, use a lot of these things in I fireworks. I understand now. Because they're powdered so that the, the gunpowder can actually ignite them. In powdered form, a lot of things are way more combustible. Like, a little off topic, but like cornstarch. Okay. You can't just hold a lighter up to cornstarch and light it up. I mean, it's not going to... I've never tried to burn our cornstarch. But if you would take a straw, okay, and you put a little cornstarch in the straw, and you'd hold your lighter out, and you would take it up to your lips, and you'd blow through it with that cornstarch in there, you'd singe the hair on your hand, but it would make a flame, kind of like like a little mini flamethrower. Listeners, we're not recommending you try that. If you do, it's not my fault. I mean... I learned the hard way. I'm probably going to do it now. But the last one that they add to fires to change the color is to change it into the infrared spectrum, which I'm like, why? Infrared, that'd be like how the it's, it's, aliens or the predators saw us through their vision. Y- yeah, yeah, exactly. But they use casium nitrate or rubidium nitrate. And, but what would the point be? I mean, other than to make it just show up in a different spectrum that you can't even see with your own eyes. And I couldn't find anything where it went to ultraviolet, where you could make the fire be ultraviolet light, which was strange. But basically, what we want to do is we want to follow the rainbow as a general rule of thumb for how hot your fire is. And there are a couple of exceptions, like house fires, okay? When there's a door closed, uh, the fire tends to burn a real red color. It's a low-temperature flame, and it creates a lot of carbon monoxide, which apparently is flammable from a lot of the sources that I was looking up the information on. And you've probably seen the movie Backdraft. Yes. But that's a real phenomenon. You open the door, add oxygen, and all those hydrocarbons... and It just bursts. all takes off at once, right? It's at a flashpoint, and it changes the color. It's no longer red. But that's really all I wanted to talk about as far as fire. Oh, oh, actually, there is one more thing. Just so that it's a little easier to understand. Okay, the the actual flame part of the fire is separate from the fire part of the fire and the fuel. There's a thin layer in between... Say you've got a log on a campfire and you can see the flames. There's a thin layer in there that is actually where the uh, 
however violent the reaction is, the chemical reaction that is the fire itself, is. And everything else that you see that is flame is all just radiation. So the closer you are to the fuel, like if you look at the bottom right there on the flames, if you could see it from the side, it would be almost white and then a blue and then a... Uh-huh. Yeah. The far- I've studied fires. <laughs> yeah, you, you are a pyro. But it's it's kind of amazing how certain fuels will give you different reactions, but we're looking at a campfire here. So those nice red licking flames that are way out here that look like the wacky waving... The ones um, that I love because yeah, I love a big man. fire. Um, yeah, there's more soot and impurities in there, and that's where that I black body radiation comes in. I feel warmer with a big in. fire. Well, you do feel warmer because of the radiation that's hitting you. That's all electromagnetic. And we're not going to get into nuclear or any other type of fire tonight. <laughs> I'm okay with that. But on that note, listeners, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Um, you can get a, a hold of us at alcaha at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. If you look up alcaha, more than likely you'll find us. That's A-L-C-O-H-U-H. Uh, if you Google search us, there's this really weird article about, like, binge drinking or something that comes up. Also. I've never tried to Google search us. Yeah, I did. Kind of strange. But on that note, I'm EJ. I'm Beth. Thanks for listening.